0: You're listening to The Deadly Dose, hosted by Harini Bhatt and Megan Gesner. Welcome back to another episode of the Deadly Dose podcast with me and Megan. (laughs) We haven't done that in a long time. I know, I know. It's still Halloween, as in it's October. So we're going to do our... (laughs) (laughs) Every day of October is Halloween. (laughs) Yes! It's already October 10th as we're recording this, and Mm -hmm. I still haven't dressed up in a costume. Usually by now I'll do like a little bit of a DIY, but I have felt the least... Halloweeny this season so far. I don't know about you, Megan. okay. I've been feeling
1: very spiritually Halloweeny, so maybe uh, yeah. not in my like physical appearance. Have I been mm-hmm. dressing up? Mm-hmm. Um, I've been feeling like very um contemplative mm. about death and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But yeah. I think that's because the episode we're going to do today, what I'm going to talk about, has made me that way. But I just yeah. feel like it's just it is so halloween <laughs> Yeah,
0: it is. So good. Yeah. So with that being said, we are doing our Spooktober series. So this is our second installment, second episode, which Megan will yes. do for us right now. Yes. Take it away. Okay. Man. All right. Here I go.
1: A quick warning for those of you who have been watching House of the Dragon or trying to keep up with this series. There will be a spoiler towards the tail end of this episode. So I... Always tend to start with preface, <laughs> a preface. Yeah. Um, I would say that this is not necessarily the scariest topic, but for me, I find it spooky. So and I know that sounds weird because, like, scary and spooky, some people think that's synonymous, but I do not personally. I think scary is like something that is truly unnerving or shocking mm-hmm. or whatever. I guess spooky could be also unnerving, <laughs> but like spooky to me is more like like mis mm. like mystery like like you know I'm it's something that's a little bit more unknown and because that aspect is unknown that makes it like spooky to me I'm like because right. I because I don't know I don't know like the secrets or the answers so I'm like, yeah, oh, it's kind of like- more <laughs> mysterious, yeah, yeah, it's a mis- mysterious thing um so if you're looking for a terrible fright tonight um or as you listen to this whether it's on your drive right now or whatever um you might not get that some of you might get a little bit of a shiver because i do think like um like if you're someone who kind of is super fascinated by um the paranormal and visions and spirits Mm -hmm. that's gonna be part of this and so that might give you like a nice little chill um okay so that's just Prefacing. If it's going to be super scary, maybe not, maybe yes. It depends on okay. how, what you, what you, what makes you scared. Okay. Yeah. Second part is I wanted to talk about uh, what inspired me for this particular topic. Mm. So I'll just share the topic. Mm-hmm. Today I'll be talking about terminal lucidity, also known as paradoxical lucidity, and deathbed visions. Mm. And the reason why I chose this topic is because I had a very Wonderful and silly in many ways, but also very fascinating conversation with our CCO um, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and he shared a very personal story about his father who struggled through um, dementia in mm-hmm. his aging days. And how um, he, my CCO, he noted two very unique instances towards the end of his father's life where they visited him, visited the father in um, like hospice care. And there was one day where all the family was gathered around just chit chatting, you know, providing company, even though his father's not totally there. Yeah. And his father was seated. He's in a wheelchair. I think he also had some sort of back pain or problem Mm -hmm. and he um, was seated and there's like a chair open chair next to him And the rest of the family was kind of standing around or sitting around the the hospital room. And then um, he the father suddenly is like, oh, like he beckons to, you know, whatever, like uh, the empty air beckons to the empty air across from him and pats the chair next to him. And then one of the children or family members is like, oh, did you you want me to sit there? And the father goes, oh, no, um, it's for the shiny lady. She she makes me feel better. It's for the shiny lady. And the way he was looking in the room was like, he was looking at somebody Mm. and he beckoned over whatever he was seeing. In this case, a woman he described as a shining woman and had her sit down next to him. And he said with like, um, to, to their relief, he did say like, Oh, you know, she, she makes me feel much better. And that was a good thing because at the time, like he was struggling with back pain and dementia ultimately. And they, they, they were used to moments of him going through severe pain. So they were like, okay, whatever he's seeing, as long as it makes him feel better, then we won't question it. Like we're not going to invalidate him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that was, so that was one um, experience that my CCO had with his Mm. own father. And then the last experience he mentioned was probably like a week before his father ultimately passed. He, my CCO and his sister went to go visit their dad. And he was lying in his hospital bed and, you know, he hadn't been very um, lucid the last couple of weeks. Um, But they were used to that, of course. They knew what to expect. And then suddenly he like turned to them and had a very lucid moment of just saying six grandkids or something like that, like acknowledging how many grandkids they have. Yeah. And then he made some sort of joke. I honestly can't remember and I don't want to do my my CCO a disservice, (laughs) but he... But what how the my boss explained it was like he just had a very lucid moment where he made full eye contact with us and like said a very coherent sentence, acknowledged that he had grandkids and made a silly joke about them.
0: Mm.
1: And it didn't seem like he was he he wasn't about his wits. Like it didn't seem like it was a hallucinatory moment or a moment of dementia. And then he rolled over and went to sleep. And then I think in the next Mm. couple of days he passed away. Wow! So, just as some extra backstory, we literally, literally had this conversation in one of our offices. We have two offices in San Diego, but we had one in like our more newer office because we were just we were just working and chatting, and then we started talking about ghosts (laughs) in this office because there are definitely random sounds that just like the office creaks and groans, despite it being literally like in like a very industrial, like a very corporate office space yeah um and i was so it was so refreshing to hear my boss who is like a man who we work in science like we yeah, yeah, <laughs> we yeah, yeah. all work in science i guess that doesn't make us uh, immediately people who don't believe in spirits and stuff but he was like i, I made a joke of like oh maybe it's like um an office ghost. And I I used our company's location name, but I'm not going to show. I was like, maybe it's our office ghost. And he was like, his eyes widened and he nodded like super fervently and was like, yeah, like, honestly, I don't even know how to explain it anymore. He's like, sometimes, you know, I, you know, I want to be logical about it, but I'm here all alone. A lot of the times, early morning part of the start of the day, because he's an early morning rising person Mm -hmm. and likes to start his work day early. And he's like, and I just don't know what's causing these sounds. Like, there'll be thumping, there'll be what? tapping, the door will open, and all this stuff. Um, no. Is this a brand yes. new building? It's, like, a building made in the 2000s, for sure. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it's not an old building. Sure. Um, and it has, like, warehouse aspects to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, like, maybe taller ceilings mm-hmm. could make the building grown. I don't know. But it is, like, it is weird. Wow. So, um... Anyway, so from that conversation of having a g- ghost in our own office and him admitting to like kind of believing in it, we started yeah. talking about um, spirits and even angels. We started talking about angels because when I heard the story of his father seeing yeah. the shining lady, I admitted, like, um, you know, I do. I did grow up with uh, a- Islamically, mm-hmm. and so my mind was like, maybe it's an angel. Like, I yeah, don't know. Totally. Like, and I, I get it. Not every, you know, not everyone that listens to this podcast is going to believe in that. I'm just sharing my ascent. I'm not trying to like. Mm-hmm pushing a religious agenda. I'm just, I was like, my brain goes, could be, could be an angel. Who knows? Uh, That's what I thought immediately too. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a nice, it was like a nice story when I heard yeah. it. It was, a, I thought it was a very nice story and it actually made me emotional because I think that we in Western culture, we see death as something really scary and negative and sad. But the fact that someone towards their end of days had comfort in whatever vision they were seeing, I think it's such a beautiful thing and I think that's like something we need to focus more on Mm -hmm. so that we're not so afraid of death or afraid of aging we are a super anti-aging culture um and yeah yeah, like of course we want to have nice skin forever but like (laughs) we're gonna die that's that's ultimately the end for everybody we all die so so basically my boss's story (laughs) gave it gave me chills but also like not like scared chills, but of just like oh, like what you know. There, what if that is something? You know, what if that mm-hmm. is like, if you're if you're a highly spiritual person or you grew up religiously,
0: yeah.
1: of course that there's going to be a bias that, you, like myself, I'll speak for myself. Like I am going to believe, while we don't have you know we don't have answers for why do people, um, more specifically, people who experience Alzheimer's or dementia. Why do they go through this moment of terminal lucidity mm-hmm. right before they pass? Mm-hmm. Why do they see these particular visions? And I'll go through what visions are typ- you know, typically seen. And why is it actually always a very positive moment for them? Like they know they're going to die. Like this is their yeah. body's last, last moment of like clarity and showing loved ones, like everything's going to be okay. Right. Because anecdotally we've, We've known about this for centuries, like we've observed this phenomenon for centuries, but it wasn't until 2018 where the term terminal lucidity was actually coined. Right. Um, And I'll talk about that more. But it did make me think like, yeah, if there is one area to for any non-believer or someone who's really like strictly science is the answer, which don't get me wrong. I try to go and find the scientific reason first, always, for an Mm -hmm. explanation. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I try to balance it to be like, okay, logically, maybe this is a scientific explanation. But, like, we really do not know why this happens with the brain in this moment, especially to those whose brains have deteriorated because of Alzheimer's or dementias. And at the end of the day, we don't know. We've been studying Alzheimer's and dementia for a long time, and we still aren't getting close to any answers. So that's tied into it, too. Mm -hmm. But, like, for those who you know um even those who do believe in the science they're left scratching their heads too right totally. like i i read an article from uh the scientific american
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's by a gentleman by the name of jesse baring and he even prefaces the article of like listen i'm the first person to choose logic over anything like logic mm-hmm. and reason to answer any sort of anomaly before anything else. But he had his own experience with his mother passing and she didn't have dementia per se. I think she had like um, terminal cancer and Mm -hmm. she had, um, you know, just from fatigue her last couple of days, she was very like tired, not, not in it. She might've even been on a morphine drip, who knows? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But he, his story is basically about in one of her, final hours he was in the room with her and there was a moment where she just turned and they were oh my gosh I'm gonna get emotional he she just rolled over and he's lying in bed with her you know just holding her hands Mm -hmm. and she just looked at him in the eyes and like for him he saw it as like the most knowing look and like Mm -hmm. she caressed his face Mm -hmm. and just held him tightly and closed her eyes you know what I mean and and Maybe she didn't say anything, but I like, I believe in the anecdote of someone recognizing, recognizing recognition in a dying person's eyes, like knowing yeah. in that moment, like they see me and I see yeah. them mm-hmm. and they know it's clear as day that they know I'm here in this moment yeah. holding her. Yeah. And so for him, he was like, she had not been responsive like this or rec- like that eye recognition Mm -hmm. had not been there for like days. And suddenly in that moment it happened and then she passed away, you know? And that is, that is something that does happen. And he, he's just ultimately like, but why? And if, if if there's one thing that makes me like a believer in the potential of like the, the, um, in mysticism or Mm -hmm. fantastical elements of around us, he's like, this was the moment that will, I'll always not know, or have a logical explanation for
0: yeah so anyways alrighty.
1: so maybe this is more spiritual than spooky <laughs>
0: <laughs> i love it though. but but as you sorry as you said like it's the same thing in many ways like spooky is just another way of saying something that's just mysterious and something we can't put words into we can't explain scientifically or with logic and sometimes right. that delves into like maybe something scary because we can't understand it but also something like Otherworldly and beyond our comprehension, but also beautiful. Yeah,
1: yeah. So,
0: um, I mentioned that the term
1: "terminal lucidity" wasn't coined until 2018. So first, oh, wow. Yeah, 2018. Okay. Um, so the the term was brought about um, by. This is actually two people, but one. I feel like one person gets the credit the most. One is Dr. Michael Naum, and the other is Dr. Bruce Grayson. Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. Michael Naum is the one who usually gets credit for it, um, but he defines terminal lucidity as, quote, the reemergence of normal or unusually enhanced mental abilities in dull, unconscious, or mentally ill patients shortly before death. Including considerable elevation of mood and spiritual affection, or the ability to speak in a previously unusual, spiritualized and elated manner, and there is a lot of anecdotal evidence for this. Like I said, like we we see not we like I haven't personally, but a lot of nurse practitioners
0: yes. and
1: um, physicians see yep. this oh, yeah and what was interesting to hear on one of the podcasts that, <laughs> that I listened to about terminal lucidity, it oh and it was an interview with Michael Nam is like he's like, unfortunately, in the medical world, people don't document this that well. while anecdotally we hear about it, it's not documented, yeah. but the reason why it's not documented is because think about a hospital setting. you've just lost a patient like you probably have multiple other patients that you need to check in on losing a patient with family around is incredibly sensitive. And so you don't want to stand there and take notes on, oh, this is what happened. Blah, 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 right? Yeah. Um and then also like think about the again, the culture of we are very much focused on saving lives and preventing um preventing death or preventing a harsh death or whatever and so i can see that just culturally why would we want to study the actual moment of death you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so so that's where we that's why it's only it's just been up to 2018 that people are actually like interested in labeling this defining this moment seeing the patterns um and like hopefully family members like if you see this happen i think it is a positive thing to note it because at the end of the day like it's It is a positive thing, especially if you see someone that has been struggling with dementia, you know, have a vision of something positive or has a moment of clarity.
0: I feel like I now that you're talking about this, I don't know if this is the same person that I listened to, but I was listening to a podcast that was all about this. And like Mm. this guy, this doctor, he's a doctor that became Mm -hmm. like a spiritualist and his entire job now is to document the near misses. Not near missing. That's really like cool. Near death experience. Near death experiences. That's yeah. all his work. Because he was just like, there has to be something to learn. Like, exactly what you're saying. He's like, yeah. he He's a medical doctor, but he was like, I yeah. never thought I would go into this line of work. But I'm like, this, ha- I've seen it happen so often, like where people will die, but they have clearly see something yeah. and no one is documenting it to, to what you're, yeah. to your point. And he was like, why not? Like, there might be something to learn from this. Absolutely. So now yeah. he does that. That's his full time yeah, job. Yeah. And-
1: there might be something to learn and to me i'm like if people are so turned off by the 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 spiritual more religious answer or whatever then like all the more reason to document right. these moments because then right. that leads to scientific answers
0: it's kind of i guess morbid in a way to research this but I, and, mm-hmm. and the other way of looking at it is it's going to happen anyways people yeah. die people die so yeah. might as well put it to quote unquote good use like Really understand yeah. if there's any anything we can learn from it,
1: right? I agree. I think that if some people, if there's a part of the living population that's consenting on being cadavers for research, then why not let this be some aspect of that study as yeah. well? You know. Yeah. Anyways, so Dr. Michael Nam and Dr. Grayson, they do a literature study on the death of Anna Katharina Ammer. And Anna Katharina Emmer was a young German woman who died in 1922. So this was a long time ago, and of course, in 1922, it's not like they have video recordings or anything like that. Um, So the the first question you think of, like, why would a contemporary scientific review rely on the testimony of what happened in 1922? Right. Mm -hmm. But the reason why this is a particularly like head scratching case that people do see as credible is because during her death or her final days she had two doctors as witnesses and these doctors were people who were actually quite um reliable like people who were very well respected in their their um practice and they were both psychiatrists that worked at um worked at the asylum that katarina had been held at so what's katarina's story okay we'll call her cat Cat for short. Cat mm-hmm. for short. That's what they, they call her. Cat for short. She was 26. or they I've seen differing ages, 26 or 28. But she was a woman in her mid-20s who had spent the majority of her life in a asylum in Germany. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because she was born with physical abnormalities. She had mental disabilities or me- um, mental abnormalities. And because of this, she was someone who was Predominantly nonverbal, had to, you know, couldn't feed herself, couldn't speak, always had to have care around her. So that's mm-hmm. why she would ended up in this asylum. Okay. okay. So that's her context. One of the doctors wrote from birth on, this is the one of the German doctors that took observed her or took care of her. From birth on, she was seriously retarded. That's the language they used. Mm-hmm. She had never learned to speak a single word. She stared for hours on a particular spot, then fidgeted for hours without a break. She gorged her food, fouled herself day and night, uttered animal-like sounds, and slept, never taking notice of her environment, even for a second. And then she also suffered severe meningitis infections multiple times. So that damaged her cortical brain tissue. Yikes. So this was someone who was just like, uh, very unfortunately, having all these um, disabilities that impacted her ability to live without care. You know, Mm -hmm. so... Yet, despite all this, as she lay dying, um, she actually had just gotten her leg amputated from osseous tuberculosis. Like, oh, this poor woman, gosh. you know, just a very, very hard life. Yeah. Um, the two doctors, the Hoppich uh, and Witnabin, and other staff members in the facilities, they gathered around her um, because suddenly they heard her singing. Whoa. Cat. Yeah, Kat wrote Hapich, who had never spoken a single word, being entirely mentally disabled from birth on, sang dying songs to herself. Specifically, she sang over and over again, quote, where does the soul go? Find its home, its peace, 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 heavenly peace. And she sang for half an hour. And they even say her face, which had been like, so, you know, not sharing joint attention or anything Mm. like that for, for all the days that she she'd been observed, her face suddenly like transfigured and was spiritualized. Like she was looking at something, you know, mm-hmm. like actually transfigured on something. Yeah. And then she passed away. Wow. And this is something that, you know, you have two doctors and a whole room of probably orderlies and nurses right. observed and they they vouch for each other. They're like, yes, this we all witnessed this moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so even though this happened in 1922, this is a big story and a question about like this woman was terminally ill and yeah. her brain literally had damage. Mm-hmm. How is it possible that from all that damage and years of being nonverbal, in her last moment she was able to sing coherent sentences? Like what's going on there neurologically? What is happening in her days that she was alive and well? Like what is her mm-hmm. brain absorbing? And why in this last couple moments is that it like it's like a a there's a word for it like a your brain becomes alive because it knows it's going to die you yeah. know yeah so that anyways. is
0: wild and it's not even like I've heard of things like where it happens very quickly like mm-hmm. they'll just say one word or one sentence or just a right. moment they'll share a moment of lucidity as you said right thirty minutes of singing yeah. that is like unexplainable like absolutely yeah. unexplainable like those are the moments where I'm just like there was like someone that like just like took over her you yeah. know yeah i don't i have no other explanation for
1: yeah that. so wow. so no nobody else really has an explanation because at the end of the day like as much as we know as much as we've mapped the brain we yeah. really just have general ideas of where memory stored you know i guess we do know where the speech speech pathways are and all that but like because you know at the end of the day our our brain's still a mystery and we can only guess a lot of it's theoretical we we can't know like even someone who's had meningitis (laughs) their brain was literally fried like those pathways are dead she was able to sing yeah okay so one of the the podcasts i listened to that talked about this um I think it's it was the it's called the consciousness cuz I don't want to gatekeep. I'm just going to give my sources. Yeah, yeah. Mind you, listeners, these are podcasts that I've listened to the first time specifically for this topic. Um I would encourage you to go listen. I don't know what their con- their other content is like. I feel like most of them are like kind of um, they're either very spiritual or very like they're the whole focus is consciousness. Like they're trying to understand consciousness. Yeah. But um, this particular podcast is called the consciousness podcast with Stuart Preston. Mm-hmm. He interviewed Michael Nam and he actually asked questions that I had when I was listening to certain stories. I was like, okay, well what about this, what about this. Yeah. So he asked, Um. no, he didn't ask a question. He more like posited a potential theory. Right. Mm-hmm. So we know that you know, in studies where people are born without half their brain, right? That's a thing. We know that the brain will still, even though you only have your left side, will still function fully as if you have both sides of the brain. Mm. And that, that's basically just a testament to we know that the brain is incredibly elastic and malleable. And if one part of your brain dies, the rest of the brain. Um, network, mapping, whatever you want to call it, will work to make up those pathways. Yeah. And so we've seen that with people who lose maybe a chunk of even their motor cortex. Motor cortex is that one little knob at the tail end behind your, um, what do they call Occipital cortex, yeah. right? Some people have lost that. And then suddenly parts of your occipital cortex are making up for your motor cortex. You know, like we know that the brain is adaptable and can take on those responsibilities. Um, so his 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 theory that he posited was maybe what's happening like in the case of cat, is that her brain has been so malformed from disease and just natural biology that maybe in her last moments, <laughs> there is like a burst of the brain just being like, we are going to We're going to use all of our capacity that still works to have this one moment. The question is ultimately why? But he does think that there's a tie into parts of the brain are putting in an effort to take on those processes because we know the brain is capable of doing that. We just do not know why. So I thought that was, like, a good thing to mention because there's at least
0: science involved in that, you know? But, like, yeah. also, why then? You know? Right. I'm, like, if she has a capacity to do that, let's say that's correct. Let's say mm-hmm. that's true. Mm-hmm. If that's true, then why only in that moment, right? Like, if she, if she had that potential to do that, why couldn't she have done that at any other time? Like, it didn't have to be right when she died. It could have right. been she just had that one moment maybe – her third year in as asylum and then it never happened yeah. again right yeah that's true so yeah there's clearly some connection to you almost about to die or yeah in the f- your few last moments yeah and here's here's another cool thing yeah that um
1: Stuart Preston said in this episode uh, and I think he this is he tied this into what I just said Again, just totally theory, but I think you would love this. It honestly blew my mind, and I totally <laughs> want to believe in this. But you know, it's up to you guys to decide. But he did say he was like, "There's." Um, he actually brought up the question of um, of psychedelics, mm-hmm. and he did say there's actually some evidence that our brain has the capacity to create something like create DMT on its own. Um, there's some, I, I'm just quoting him, but yeah. he said like, I'll have to look this up myself, but he said that there's part of like the pineal gland that can promote, like create its own DMT. Mm-hmm. And his theory was, what if, as you are in your dying stage, that part of the brain just releases that f- amount of DMT possibly. And what we know about psychedelics is when you're on psilocybin, DMT, LSD, it can open up those pathways to blend together, right? Like uh, when you're off psychedelics, your brain is like, okay, stay in your lane. You Mm -hmm. frontal cortex, you do your thing. Mm -hmm. Occipital cortex, you do your thing. Everyone has their jobs. But when you're on psychedelics, those barriers fall. And that's why people will experience synesthesia. So, when you do psychedelics, you can experience synesthesia, which is essentially these pathways merging and being like, it's a free for all. Like, just everyone get in on this? Like, hello, it's a party. And so synesthesia is when like, they say, it's like, you see colors and you, no, you, duh, of course you see colors. You, you see sounds and you hear colors and all these things get mixed and jumbled, but it's really enlightening experience because Mm you're, everything's involved with each other. And that's really cool. Yeah, And so his theory was like, maybe the pineal gland releases this little DMT moment and it helps all the dying parts of the brain let go of their barriers and have the living parts of the brain just like, okay, we're going to take over real quick and it's going to be awesome. And then they have this lucid moment where they have that recognition. They can see their loved ones in the room. They can talk to them, have a word or a sentence or full conversation. Mm -hmm. And then once that DMT is gone, that's it. Like that's, that's the end. So that was his theory. And I thought that was like really fascinating, but I have to look into that more.
0: Me too. I'm so curious if that's actually a thing because I totally agree. Like I'm trying to rock my brain with the information that I picked up sometime along in my life, but Mm -hmm. I remember (laughs) reading or hearing or seeing something about when you are about to pass away, like they've done like electricity or like you know they just like attach your body and see what mm-hmm. what is your brain activity like and it's yeah. almost like there's just so much going on your your whole body especially your mind is so stimulated right up until the point that you die uh, mm-hmm. almost like to light up a light bulb right yeah and for me the way that i look at that is like all of that potential energy all of that electricity those sparks allows you to see something or visualize something and it, and, and the best way that i can describe this that has been portrayed in media is mm. actually in, in harry potter where mm. they have like he does the whole like <laughs> the one thing the one <laughs> he's like putting so much of his power so much of his energy into like fighting voldemort yeah and then there's like that connection where it blows open and he mm. sees all of his ancestors like his are all his loved ones who have died yeah you know and then like after that it just goes kaput yeah yeah like he's used up all of his energy right yeah and i honestly feel like it's very similar to that if i were to imagine it like it's almost Mm -hmm. like you're putting all this potential energy use your last neurons Mm -hmm. to just fight through to see it through the end and then you get this vision or you hear this thing or you're able to sing or whatever it is yeah it's just gone
1: yeah it's a really beautiful thought like i would like to believe that like i'd like to agree um
0: And then it's just DMT.
1: (laughs) It's just our own DMT and our own bodies.
0: Uh, That would be just mad high. (laughs) (laughs) That would be so crazy.
1: Like, it's it's really beautiful and uh, really cool. It is really
0: beautiful. Before we get into the rest of the episode, if you've been enjoying our content so far,
1: please go rate and review us
0: wherever you might be listening from or don't. Just keep on hanging with us. All right, on to the rest of the episode.
1: Okay, so. I've gotten way deeper more into like the brain science essentially sure. and um but like to kind of get back on more of like a spooky vibe <laughs> I can walk you through the actual patterns that um that are pretty common um with people who are in their final days or weeks okay. of living and yeah. now I do want to say not every person who is dying of a terminal illness will experience deathbed visions or tum- terminal lucidity, um, which can be a good thing or can, I don't know, can be a very neutral thing. Sure. Just know that, like, not everyone goes through that. Not every family witnesses that. What can be honestly negative for some people when they witness a loved one go through terminal lucidity is Again, because this isn't something that's studied that much or talked about openly that much, is that you will have families that are around somebody who has had a degenerative degenerative brain disease, Mm -hmm. and that person will go through a moment of lucidity. And the family will be like, oh, my God, it's a miracle. And like, in my mind, it is a miracle. But they're thinking it's a miracle. Like they've turned around, you know, like Uh, it's like like maybe this is a great sign. Like, how's their health? Blah, blah, blah. Well, the reality is typically when someone becomes more lucid and if they've been, you know, suffering from Alzheimer's or dementia, that usually means that they are going to die. Um, and people, some people don't know that. And then it's heartbreaking because they're like, it doesn't make sense because they were just, they were just talking to me and they knew who I was. Like, how, why did they die suddenly? And I'm like, actually there's a a pattern. Like people die usually after they have that moment of lucidity or multiple moments of lucidity. So I just want to put that PSA out there, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, but remember, like, it's a beautiful thing because... I'll go into it. So here's here's the pa- here's the patterns. So I learned this from listening to sh- the podcast "Shift Your Spirits" with uh, Slide Rob- Robertson. That might be yeah. the person you were talking about. I don't know, but um, I don't know much about his podcast in general. But uh, he interviewed a uh, Dr. Martha Joe Atkins and dr atkins is the executive director of a facility called abode contemplative care for the dying and it's located in san antonio texas i actually highly recommend listening to this episode um, because i just adore like listening to dr atkins i adore her um the work that she's doing at abode she made it very clear she was like it's Actually, a place where people can come in for free. It's not hospice care. She made that very distinct. She's like, it's not That's hospice amazing. care. This is not a for budget situation. Right. She did say that unfortunately, um, at some because of where we're at with the economy and stuff, that they will start to enforce a budget. But they're like, if people need help, we'll try to meet them the best they can financially and all that. But right now, they were just doing it for free, which to That's me amazing. speaks volumes. Yeah, speaks volumes. But um, at Abode. They basically, um, they do that last part. They focus more on validating someone's dying days and what that person experiences including deathbed visions and terminal lucidity and they walk families through those moments of like understanding these are the steps that will happen and the the best thing that you can do is just to go along with it like never be like questioning who are you seeing like are you hallucinating like never to be worried about that type of stuff so i i highly encourage you guys to listen to this because she she's ultimately just an observer of all these moments and everything she says is anecdotal, but I felt like she was so non-biased ultimately anyway. Um, so what she explained was in like a month of before a patient dies, mm-hmm. what you can expect is typically if you're, if a patient's inside a room and is you know bedridden in a room, they will start to, see what she calls quote-unquote friendlies outside of their room like mm. out the window and friendlies are visions they're they're people that typically are just random they've never been seen in that person's life before mm. and um but they're they're it's never a negative thing it's yeah just, they're just they're just called friendlies they, yeah. they're typically visions that bring comfort but they're from a distance okay and then one thing that she said that I thought was so interesting is she said, what I've observed is actually um, a lot of white patients will see black friendlies. Like very specifically, she'll, they will see people of color who are friendlies and that will bring that them so comfort. Interesting. Is that not bizarre? But also like, whoa, like that why?
0: Really you know? interesting. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So that was one that's like step one of the dying okay. process. And then step two is um, I think it's like, you'll see just gest- gesticulation. Um, is not the right word, Like gesturing start. Yeah. You'll often see patients like reaching okay, for yeah, something yeah. above them um, or like s- f- focusing in on something that's in their room or they'll be reaching for it. Hmm. Um, y- their visions will start to come inside the room and um, within like, it can be like a week before someone's death, like up to a week to like the day of. People will start to see deceased loved ones, always deceased loved ones. They'll also start to see like grand imagery. Like there's, um, I think she tells of a patient that like saw butterflies, you know? And she asked, she had a family member in the room and was like, don't you see the butterflies? But like, it's a very lucid moment telling the family member of like, Can't, you know, can't you see how beautiful the butterflies are? And it's not um, some some people will ask, like, how is that different from a hallucination? Mm -hmm. And they do separate them. Hallucinations tend to be negative or Mm -hmm. scary moments, Mm -hmm. whereas deathbed visions are comforting. And and also when someone's hallucinating, you can tell that they're kind of out of it. With deathbed visions, yeah. it's it's a lucid thing. Like they are telling you what they're seeing, and they they're aware of your presence, and they're like, "This is like this is happening right now. Like I can see it." Um, so that's that's the difference. And then and then there was another anecdote of like, sorry, this is from a, another podcast um, by another doctor who is a psychotherapist mm-hmm. um, who studies this sort of end of life phenomenon. But a patient saw her deceased grandfather or great-grandfather, or something, who she had never met. Whoa. Yeah. And so, like, that's... Those are definitely stories where people are like, oh, come on. Like, that's BS. Like, whatever. But yeah. in my mind, I'm like... As she explained, she was like, this was a lucid moment. Like, she she could identify like, the, the grandfather in a photo despite never having met him before. That's wild. And, yeah. And, um... So, yeah, you'll see deceased loved ones. And then, um... And then in the case of someone who has had cognitive dysfunction for a yeah. long time, that's where the terminal lucidity gets tied in, where, like, they might not have been able to speak proper sentences with you, but suddenly they've had, like, a very lucid moment with you where they can talk to you, and then they pass away. So those those two things, they are separate things. Deathbed visions are separate from terminal lucidity, but they often, like, will go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's pretty much it. So, like, like... this is such this is a more morbid thing but I was like damn so if I'm in the hospital room and I have a loved one who's going and they suddenly see someone else that's been deceased I'm like okay let's start counting the clock because they're about to go because guaranteed guaranteed they will pass within the minutes the hours or Mm. the week within that week that they see a loved one a deceased loved one
0: absolutely every time Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I to me I find it very logical <laughs> because mm-hmm. I'm just like, this makes total sense. Like you're, it's basically like the spiritual side of prepping mm-hmm. someone to pass, right? Like yeah. you, you're prepping, like you don't want to just outright, just like when you're meeting a person, you're not just going to barge into their room. You first yeah. kind of just like say hi from the outside. And then when you get comfortable, have a bill report, you enter the room and then mm-hmm. you send someone who actually knows the person, who is a family member, yeah. who is like probably recently deceased to, to help them with the transition. Yeah. Like that to me is like, that's not too dissimilar to our day-to-day lives when you're introducing someone or building a connection to somebody.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. One other thing that this uh, Dr. Atkins observed, it doesn't necessarily tie into the patterns that mm-hmm. I just listed, like it's not something that happens consistently. But she observed that when a patient dies, she truly believes like they choose when they die. And the reason why she said this is she gave an example of there was a young woman who was in their care and she was a terminally ill woman, not necessarily from dementia. I think she might have had some sort of cancer. But her own mother was going through um, she just had a colonoscopy or something. Like her own mother had some something. Um but this this young this young woman was on her deathbed, had not been very uh, awake or aware for a while, and then another um, like nurse came in to her room that day, and like she had built a really good relationship with this nurse almost to a point where the nurse was like her own like motherly figure aside yeah. from her actual mother who's, who's going through her own il- mm-hmm. ailments and stuff and also for additional context the actual mother had been taking care of this dying woman's children too oh, um yeah. and so basically dr atkins explains that when this nurse came in to like check on her for this final time mm-hmm. she passed away and in dr atkins Beliefs. She believes that this woman chose to pass away at this time because she didn't want to burden her own mom to come from a colonoscopy, you know, drop taking care of the kids, all this stuff. She was like, you know what, having this nurse here who I've seen as another mother figure is enough for me. Um, that was the only anecdote she had. But in my head, I do kind of believe that concept of, yeah, if I was dying and I my brain suddenly had this DMT explosion where I'm super lucid and I know I'm gonna freaking die in my mind I was like I don't want certain people in the room like uh, more as like a not a vindictive but like I want to die with the ones that I truly care about yeah you know like I want to die or Or like this young woman, hypothetically, like, I want to die in a way where it's not a burden to people. And, you know, hopefully I can convey in some way in my death that, like, you know, you weren't supposed to be here and that was meant to be. But, like, Mm
0: -hmm. she did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, She did give examples of, like, there are many times where a family member will literally be in the room and then they'll walk out to the bathroom when they come back. The person has died you know yeah, many there's totally. many examples of that and so she's like i totally. honestly think they choose when they die so i was like I that's an interesting that. concept
0: I f- mm-hmm. and i also feel like we see that reflected so many times in movies and tv shows mm-hmm. like that's like a very constant thing it's like that it's like oh i just left and then they passed away mm-hmm. you know yeah uh I don't know. I mean, we just saw. I don't know if you watched the most recent Game of Thrones or House. House of the I Dragon. was gonna bring it up. I was gonna talk about it. <laughs>
1: okay. I actually was so on. happy. Can I? Can I? Yeah, yeah. You go. For it? It. Okay. I will make sure to put a spoiler warning at the front, but I won't at the beginning of this. But I won't truly spoil it. I think if you're following along, you know where this was going. But um, so I had thought of this topic for a while now. Like you are yeah. clearly late in recording, <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, I finally watched the episode today, literally as I was like, okay, I'm going to record today. And I'm so glad I watched it before this recording because, um, one of the main characters, King Viserys, we all know he's gone through some mad leprosy. He has some crazy ailment. Yeah. He is deteriorating like cottage cheese as a TikToker <laughs> called him. King cottage cheese. King but I love Viserys. King slay. King slay. He's so good. Um, But in the final scene of the most recent episode of House of the Dragon, he is on his deathbed. And yes, he has like incoherent moments um, speaking about like the prophecy and all that. But when he's finally alone, he does the whole gesticulation up, reaching for something above him. Right. I I remember seeing that and I was like, that is something that actually happens. It's not just an entertainment Uh, thing. Like this is accurate. He's reaching up above him. And then his last words are. My love. Mm-hmm. And me, who has just done all this research, my theory is that he's talking about Emma. Yeah. I think he's saying Emma because you see deceased ones when you're about mm-hmm. to go. Mm-hmm. I told Manira about this and she was like, oh, I thought he was still talking about Rhaenyra. And I was like, no, no, no. no he's no, dying. No, no. He doesn't know that. <laughs> so my theory is that he obviously the the viewer has to decide who he might be mentioning when he says my love. But I 100% think he's talking about Emma. Queen I agree. Emma.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I thought that was and even before that, when I was thinking also of yes, people do choose when they die. in yeah. I think because mm-hmm. Viserys finally saw his whole family together happy. Yes. And you yes. could see in his face. He was like, it's now my job is done. My work is done. I can finally rest. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Totally. I, I just thought it was like almost serendipitous that I watched right that before,
1: before this episode. And then also, I wanted to say, like, wow, what good fucking timing for Halloween! His freaking half mask, so that's the costume for the ages. Costume for the ages. I can't wait to see multiple King Cottage cheeses out on the streets with that half mask. So um, good. It also made me laugh because I know when I just left you, you were talking about how you thought Phantom of the Opera was hot. And I was like, there's your Phantom of the Opera right there.
0: I, Hottie. I, I like that. Even though there's cottage cheese on the I was like, damn, Viserys. Damn. Right. I was like, okay, okay. Good. Yeah, I like that.
1: Mysterious. Yeah,
0: yeah, What's yeah. behind that mask? Oh, no, don't like, oh, take it off. <laughs> even even oh, oh wait, we did talk about this Amon's, okay Eamon's eye i patch i like oh i know yeah mask. <laughs> yeah that was another thing
1: yeah i i know everyone's swooning now about uh mini damon essentially Day- mini oh. mini
0: matt smith yeah Love it. i do think that he looks up to damon in some ways oh oh yeah,
1: yeah. i think i think he literally
0: Jizzed himself when Damon
1: cut he's that guy's like, face off. I know.
0: He was just like, Whoa. Yeah, he was like, <laughs> yeah. Because he, he, he actually went to bed when Damon was like telling him to go to bed. Yeah, he did. Like, after that, he's like, Fine. He did. Dad. Yeah. You know, he's like, Fine. Daddy. <laughs> daddy. All right, Daddy.
1: <laughs> oh, Lord. See you later. <laughs> I mean, they are incestuous. Anyway. They are.
0: And I'm pretty sure Damon swings both ways.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) No question. I think Damon probably swings in all directions.
0: Uh, Yeah, I know. Ew. Let's not talk about it. (laughs) Anyways, let's take a turn.
1: (laughs) Okay, okay. So going back to topic at hand. um, I want to end it with basically like, it's it is fact like it is real it is science that deathbed visions are a thing that occur and terminal lucidity is a thing Mm -hmm. that occur at the moment there's not enough studies like there's there's not enough evidence to figure out why that's happening and mind you like it's all anecdotal for ethical reasons that's that's why we cannot get more studies on this because we can't like take a dementia patient and just put them in a house and observe them. You know what I mean? Like, because people, people want to be with their loved ones when they know that they're dying and not everyone's going to consent to the top idea of like, okay, we want to study them for deathbed vision. So we're just going to monitor them 24 seven, you know, and put like a, put them in an MRI machine every day when they're having a deathbed vision. Like it does. That's impossible. We cannot do that. Mm -hmm. So it's going to take a long time for us to understand why this does happen. So I want to leave the listeners and ourselves with a question of like, well, while in this time period where we don't know more about it and why the brain does this incredible, phenomenal, magical thing, um, is it ghosts? <laughs> is it spirits? Yeah. Like when someone's on their deathbed, like, for example, my boss seeing the shining lady, is that the brain actually doing something or did he see an angel? Um, the woman who identified her grandfather or saw her deceased grandfather without ever seeing him like, is that the brain making an educated guess of how someone described somebody once before and suddenly she's able to recall that memory? Or did she see an actual family member trying to, you know, um, soothe her to come to the other side? Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think I know where we land because we do have like a spiritual background and bias and it's also a really beautiful thought um but yeah i just want to leave that with listeners is this is this a long-winded way this episode a way to say that hey ghosts might might actually be real Mm -hmm. but they're good ghosts
0: (laughs) yeah and i feel like even i feel like the connotation for ghosts are like ghosts and this is coming off um of watching what we do in the shadows. There's an episode yeah. about ghosts. Oh, we've got ghosts. As if like we have pets in the house, we have ghosts. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I love it. I love that concept. Yeah. But so ghosts funny. are typically uh, a spirit that has unfinished business. At least mm-hmm. the way that we interpret it as humans, right? Right. Ghosts have unfinished business. They're usually restless and whatever, whatever. I'm going to yeah. anger some ghosts tonight probably. That. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah. But what I think this is, which is like angels or guides, like that's totally different. Like they have already had, like they have a role to play, which is to to heal us, to ease us, to guide us, you know, whatever that is. So I feel like there is a difference. And as you were saying that, I do have one story to share. Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember all of the, the exact moments of this, but essentially the story goes like this. There was a fire in a school Mm -hmm. and, the way that the fire happened was it was in an elementary school. So it was a kindergarten classroom. All the kids were inside the room. And it happened mm-hmm. to be that the teacher had just ha- like left, just like went mm. to go to the bathroom or I don't know what happened, but the adults were not in the room. It's just mm-hmm. the kids trapped mm-hmm. inside and this yeah. fires and flames everywhere, right? These kids were pretty much going to die. Mm. And then this kid, he was like six, I think, at the time. He remembers clear as day seeing this lady in white mm-hmm. who was like very, very, in a very calm voice said, it's okay. Nothing's going to happen. You're not going to die. Just follow me. And mm-hmm. then she like opened the window and everyone went out the window. Mm. And then – Every, all the parents were obviously freaking out, like grabbing their kids, picking them up after the fire was put out. And she, the mom was basically asking the, her child, she was like, what happened? Like, um, like, are you okay? Like, are you okay? And he was like, yes, fine. The, like, I want to say thank you to that lady who helped us. Mm. And she was like, there's no one. There was nobody. Like, mm. your teacher wasn't in the room. There's nobody there. There's no lady. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, no, no. There was a lady. She helped us. She walked us She walked us out the window yeah. and told everything was going to be okay. And yeah. it's like that is something that's like you cannot make that up. Like how right, do you make that right. up? That's not a that's not a hallucination to your point. Like that's not a visual thing that you're just like kind of making up in your mind. Like this is yeah. someone that sees it very clearly, very lucidly seeing this right. person who is directing them and guiding yeah. them to safety. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I
1: mean honestly, if there's one thing that would make me believe more in this concept, like Instead of, you know, I have, instead of a a dying person who obviously, you know, there's that concept they're close to death. Of course, they're going to see the guides. They're going to see, you know, if they're going to be brought over to, if you believe in the other side, they're being brought over to the other side. That all makes sense. But in my mind, I'm like, if there's one entity that truly makes me believe in spirits, it's when a child talks about it. Like yes. when a child brings up the concept of like, just like the lady in white that helped me or like not even naming it as a ghost or a spirit, but just like, oh yeah, that person helped me. That stranger helped yes. me. And you're like, yes. who, where? Right. And they're like pointing to the corner of the room. <laughs> That's when I'm like, okay, that shit is terrifying, yeah, but like makes me want to believe even yeah. more, you know, cause there's something, kids are just so innocent and I'm like, mm-hmm. they're not close to
0: death. So no. like, what's the reason? What yeah. was the reason? <laughs> There's okay now. I'll, yeah. This is the last thing I'll say. I because I, I this has happened to me so much. While on my my for you page, I'll have a lot of that show up. Whereas mm. like moms or dads being like, "Dude, my kid just like said some crazy shit the other yeah. day," you know. Yeah. And they're talking about that, and then the com I go immediately go to the comment section. I'm like, yeah, it's yeah. All these other people like talking about their experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. The the prevailing like. TikTok collective theory. And I, mm. I think I've seen this like in that podcast I was listening to where it's like um, angels, guys, whatever you want to call them spirits, they mm-hmm. feel more comfortable showing and expressing themselves clearly to children because mm. they are innocent. They don't have yeah. – they're not yet tainted by preconceived notions or whatever about anything. They're very right. pure, innocent beings and they're more willing to receive you. They're they're mm. very free and open where they're like, I'm a, I'll allow this energy or allow this help. To be, yeah. to come in and and guide yeah. me. Whereas, like yeah. as we grow older, we start to pour in like our own like imp- not imperfections, but all of our own mental barriers and blah 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 blah. Right, blah, blah, right, blah. right. So yeah. I believe that. I totally believe that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I um, totally, yeah. I think so because I honestly am of the person that feels like some things are not meant to be understood or explained. It's just meant to be yeah. felt. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's just meant to be experienced and just enjoy it for what that was but I, I think what's really important here is you're right like i think this like dr atkins there are people mm-hmm. like her it's really important to break down the barriers of s- science is science and spirituality is spirituality that that's no there's no such thing like they can coincide with each other and coexist right yeah they th- they're one and the same. Just because you are a scientist doesn't mean you can't be spiritual and vice versa, you know? Totally. So I think yeah. this is a very beautiful, yeah, in embracing the two. Yeah. I think the questions that
1: remain to be answered, and we just need more studies to come mm-hmm. out for to, to get a holistic idea of this, is how much does culture impact the deathbed visions that people have, or if they have any? Yeah. Um Yeah how much does your tie to religion impact your deathbed visions? Or if you have Mm -hmm. any, Mm -hmm. if you're someone who is raised agnostically or atheist your whole life, does your brain experience the same thing? If you're going through a degenerative neurological disease, like, are you going to have um, certain types of visions? Cause I think, I think what was made clear is like, regardless of someone's culture or background, the, the terminal lucidity and deathbed visions is something that happens regardless of the, the culture context. Right. Oh, but like, okay. what do the visions look like then yeah. for someone who might not believe in a higher power or angels or ghosts? Mm-hmm. You know, do they still mm-hmm. see a loved one, a deceased loved one, or do they see just butterflies, you know? um. Yeah. So that's the type of stuff that I am super curious. in. Yeah. that
0: kind of reminds me as a very last, 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 <laughs> <note. laughs> yeah that kind of reminds me of our last spooktober series when you talked about sleep paralysis because sleep paralysis only happened for certain people based on the culture and like what they were told growing up or what they believed in so i'm very curious if that if that's kind of like a similar thing that only if you believed in in like a higher power gods or angels that you saw angels and like vice versa right yeah that's that's i'd be curious to know
1: too yeah. Now there um I I withheld this I shouldn't have. Um because I just wasn't <laughs> sure how it's going to go on the podcast. Anyway, sure, sure. but um there was a uh, one other podcast featuring a Dr. Marilyn Mendoza. She's a clinical psychotherapist. She's actually someone I was going to bring her up in terms of like the the medium, but mm-hmm. whatever. Like we can it's been it's a long podcast already so I'll <laughs> skip that. But um she did say that there is a study um specifically in a certain part of india there's Mm -hmm. um a like some part of india there's a a people that believes in like the angel of death and Mm -hmm. she she names it and everything in the podcast Mm -hmm. but the angel of death does have a negative connotation to them like it's Mm -hmm. like a demon or whatever Mm -hmm. um and so when they they do experience deathbed visions or and but but when it's because of it's tied to the angel of death, they actually have a little bit more of a fearsome experience mm. rather than positive. So I had been saying the whole time, like, usually it's positive. But, like, I think that if you have a culture where the angel of death is this demonic creature True. that you don't know what's going to happen to you if you even are taken to the afterlife or whatever, right. then, like, that could potentially be more of a tense experience Mm, um that's very interesting yeah yeah so it does Mm -hmm.
0: color it in some ways Mm -hmm. yeah very cool so that's it folks wow that's really cool stuff yeah i I loved it loved it yeah this is fun yeah
1: (laughs) so if like like i said like if you're like oh people don't see ghosts at the end of their life that's fine you can believe that but you cannot deny that if someone sees a deceased person then you can at least accept they see that you don't have to label it as a ghost. Mm-hmm. Just know that like, that's what they're seeing and validate that. The worst thing you can do yeah. is be like, you didn't see dead grandma because yeah. that's not a comforting thing to say yeah. at all. to Someone who's dying. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just basically don't invalidate someone like yeah. let them enjoy and have whatever it is they see. Their and last who are you hours. To say? Who are you to say what they are seeing? And not saying. Exactly. You don't so. know. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. Alrighty. Let's take it on out. Okay. Uh, My antidote is uh, Megan and Manira came over for the first time. Hi. And LT. We just walked across the screen And Jade. Jade. Yeah. Uh, So Megan came up with her two kitty cats and then her sister Manira came over. and That was actually the first time that I like properly hung out with Megan's sister and Mm. we enjoyed ourselves. We binge watched bad sisters which i talked about on the podcast yes we had a great time had a lovely dinner together and i just loved it it was great to have good company absolutely so my
1: antidote is that but specifically thank you for introducing us to bad sisters (laughs) we did binge it um i was totally like just hyper focused. I was like, I need to know what happens next. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. stayed up, we watched Way what, five late. episodes in one night? And these dude, are one like hour six. episodes. Yeah, six, six or seven. Yeah. 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 These are one hour episodes. And we just kept watching and I was like, Manira, like, you could, Manira had to drive a little bit of a ways when yeah. she, you know, once we stopped hanging out. So I was like, dude, like, are you sure you want to stay up till midnight to keep watching? She's like, Yeah, let's do the <laughs> other one. Like it was it is a good show. So if you do have Apple TV, Bad Sisters is like, it's binge worthy for sure
0: oh it was so it was it was so fun to have you guys i was so glad to have you all right um to close it out do
1: risk it for that shiny woman biscuit love it
0: love it so comforting so comforting so wholesome
1: yeah all right
0: catch you next time bye